12. While they were ministers of the Lord, and while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I can call them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Selica, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their helper. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Papos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet, whose name was Bar-Jesus, who, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for his name is translated, was opposed to th opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, You who are full of all deceit and fraud, your son of the devil, your enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight way of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a day. And immediately the mist, a mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teachings of the Lord. Yeah, young ones, you can go with Miss Tracy today, I guess, hey? There's young are you? Okay, never mind what I said. <laughs> Is anyone going back with the young ones? Okay. Young ones, you can just stay seated. <laughs> um, it's good to see each one here this morning. If I didn't say good morning to you, I'm saying good morning now. Um, thankful for each one that's here. Thankful for... Uh, the ministry of the word, Steve, as you read it. Thankful for the ministry of music, Jordan and Adriana, and Brendan, Tracy. Let me open with a word of prayer before we begin. We are going to be in those verses that Steve read for us, Acts 13, 1 through 12. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now, looking into your word, uh, these verses that are before us, and ask that you would move now, Lord, that you would speak to us. As we were reminded in Sunday school, your word is like a hammer that shatters rock, Lord. It's a tool. It softens our hearts. It conforms us who are believers into the image of your Son. It convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Father, would you move by the power of your Holy Spirit now, enable me to proclaim what you would want proclaimed, keep me from saying anything I should not say, May you be pleased with what's proclaimed and our response to it. Help us to be active listeners, myself included. We give uh, these moments to you now, in Jesus' name, for his glory. Amen. The title of my message this morning is The Spirit in the Church, and I thought I would begin with a couple of questions just to get our juices flowing mentally. Hey, And the first question is this, what constitutes a church? What constitutes a church? What makes a church a church? Uh, some years ago, uh, Sears and Roebuck, who I have heard has started to go out of business now, they had a catalog they'd send out. Does anyone remember that catalog? 
Yeah, it was a big deal, right? <laughs> we looked forward to that catalog. When they announced that they were going to stop producing that catalog, I had a thought to myself, and I might have mentioned it to Cindy, I think that's going to be the end of Sears and Roebuck. That, that thing is their signature, you know? Now, I don't know if that's what caused them to get to the point where they're at now, but that thing really showed people who Sears was and what they had to offer. If you're a law office, you might want to have a shingle out in front that says law office. If You'll understand the little goof up in my language here in a second because the next thing I have written down, if you're a waffle house, you might want to serve waffles, right? But what makes a church a church? Or my second question, what is the difference or what are the differences between a cult and a church? What are the differences between a cult and a church? And I'm sure if I asked, I'd get wonderful answers regarding that, but I've I've narrowed it to three things. Hey, While a cult or cults are focused on false gods of some kind, a god of their own making, and are man-exalting in some way, shape, or form, and are led by personalities and or opinions, the church, what constitutes a church, is this, that a church, the church, glorifies the one true God and exalts the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What wonderful songs we got to sing this morning, hey? And a church is led and animated or energized, if you will, not by personalities, but by the Holy Spirit. That's what makes a church. A church, that's the differences between a church and a cult. A church that is the church cannot truly do any one of those things without doing all of them at the same time. In other words, you can't glorify God unless you exalt the name of Christ. And you can't be led by the Spirit unless you are saved by the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You, you don't have the Holy Spirit. The church that is doing any of these things is doing all of them and is a church. This morning we're looking at a text of Scripture that, that shares with us the advance of the Gospel hey, to the ends of the earth. And this church at Antioch is a wonderful example of a church. And they were first called Christians at Antioch, it says in Acts 11.26. And they were first called Christians at Antioch. Now that would bring us to another question. We're not going to pursue that. But what, what makes a Christian a Christian? And I think it would be those same things. A Christian is someone who glorifies the one true God exalts the person and work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and is led and animated or energized by the Holy Spirit. That's what makes a Christian a Christian. But in these two paragraphs, and it is two paragraphs that Steve has read for us, verses 1 through 12, Luke is acknowledging the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church. That's what Luke is doing. He's acknowledging the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church. And the church is responding to the activity of the Holy Spirit and when opposition comes, it is a reaction to the ministry of the Holy Spirit as well. So that's going to be the focus of this message this morning, recognizing the activity of the Holy Spirit in the church. And I think it's an important thing for us to recognize that the Holy Spirit is active in the church and it is still the case that the Holy Spirit is active in the church even today. In the remaining chapters of the book of Acts, we've come to the 13th chapter, right? In the remaining chapters of this book, and Luke has been 
concise in what he shared with us. He, he's going to have to get more concise because from 13, from Acts chapter 13 to chapter 28, there's more than 20 years he's going to condense into those chapters. So he's going to have to get really specific or selective, rather, with regard to what he's going to share with us. But you can be sure that we have those things that God has intended for us to have in these chapters. But of all the incidents Luke could have recorded for us and the details of each one of those incidents in the growth and expansion of the early church, it is these things that we have recorded for us as the church advances in earnest beyond Jerusalem and the center of the church and the church's activity becomes Antioch. It is these things that the Holy Spirit, through Luke, has decided to give to us. As Acts 1.8 continues to be fulfilled, the gospel is going to continue to spread to the ends of the earth. And it is the truth, it is the truth that the Holy Spirit was and is leading that expansion that comes to our attention this morning. So let's just begin here. There's three points to this message. And the first one is this. When the Spirit is active in the church, it is recognizable. When the Holy Spirit is active in the church, it is recognizable. The presence of the Holy Spirit is evident within a spiritually fed church. A spiritually fed church. Another way of saying it is where the church is spiritually fed, it is the Holy Spirit who is active. Where the church is growing, where the church is being fed, where the church is being built up in their faith. It is the Holy Spirit who is active. And we see the activity of the Holy Spirit in the church at Antioch, in, in, in the birth of that church, in the develop, development of that church, and in the establishment of that church as well. And notice in chapter 13, verse 1, what Luke writes, Now there were, there were at Antioch in the church that was there. That's a mouthful. Luke is saying that in Antioch there is an assembly of people that is called the church that is representative of that one body that is led by that one spirit. He said a mouthful. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch. It is the testimony of Scripture that there's only one body and one spirit. And the presence of that spirit was evident in the birth of this church. Look, look, if you will, back in Acts 11. We're just going to spend a minute here in Acts 11. Acts 11, verse 20 and 21. The Spirit of God is... It is evident that the Spirit of God is there at the birth of this church. Acts 11, verses 20 and 21. But then there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and speaking to the Greeks also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The Spirit of God was there, hey? When the gospel was preached, it came with power. It came with force. And the people that heard the gospel preached came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And they heard the word of the gospel preached, and they responded in faith. They responded in belief. The Spirit of God was there. 
and in the development of this church as well. Not just the birth of this church, but in the development of this church or the growth of this church, the Spirit of God is there as well. In verses 22 through 26 of that same chapter, chapter 11, and the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. You see, as the church develops and grows, the Holy Spirit is there as well. And it's, and it's there, the Holy Spirit is there, present in the person of Barnabas and in the, person, in the people that have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God, it's evident that the Spirit of God is there in this spiritually fed church, in the establishment of this church as well. Barnabas goes as far as Antioch. That's how far he was told to go in verse 25. It says, and he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. He's going to bring Saul back. Now this was a portion of another message, but he left to pick up, go get, find Saul to seek him out because he needed help there. He, he wanted to see this church established and he needed a co-laborer, a co-worker to see that work happen. He knew he couldn't do it on his own. So he goes to seek out Saul. And isn't that the desire of every church planner? Didn't we just hear that in, in, in what the, um, the missionary to uh, Papua New Guinea was saying this morning? Their desire was to see the church established, right? That's their desire. They want to bring the Word of God to them, see people come to faith in Christ, and then see the church established there. Isn't that the desire of every member of a church anywhere to see the church that they attend established in a community and in the faith and growing? And that happens when the Spirit of the Lord is present. And the Spirit of the Lord is present when, when, when the church is the church. And we've defined what the church is already. But here, here uh, Paul and Barnabas spend a whole year, it says in verse 26, teaching the people. And when he had found him, that is when Barnabas found Saul, I'm in Acts 11 still, verse 26, he brought him to Antioch, and for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And evidence of this church being an established church comes right away in verse 27. Now at this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and what's going to be shared by Agabus is that there's a famine coming, and the saints in Jerusalem are going to need some help. So this church in Antioch, the fact that is it an established church and it's been established through the work of the Holy Spirit is evident in the fact that they say, we want to be a part of that. We want to minister to those saints in Jerusalem. And so they give out of their own pocket to minister to the saints in Jerusalem. So we see evidence of the Holy Spirit in this spiritually fed church at the birth of this church and the development and growth of this church and in the establishment of this church. You know, um, the church has a sure foundation, Right? We were over at Judy's yesterday, and those of you that come today, you're going to see there's a big tree. And Soren mentioned, man, that tree has some really shallow roots. He, wasn't, he said, no wonder, it, something like, no wonder it fell over, right? It had a lot of roots. It's a big root ball. It spreads a long distance, but it's really shallow. But the ch church has a sure foundation. It has a deep root, the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. We have the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit of God. So when the wind blows, 
And when, when the wind blows extremely hard even, the church stands, hey? The church stands. The church that is the church stands. It stands to glorify God, to exalt the person and work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it stands because it is led by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't topple over. What a joy it is to know that that is the truth of the church, hey? It's not easily toppled because strong things come against the church. To my second point, and back to our text in, in, in chapter 13, I'm talking about recognizing the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church this today. And my first point was that when the Spirit is active, it is recognizable. This next point is this, when the Spirit speaks, He calls for a response. Or, or you might, I might say it this way, a Spirit-led church, a Spirit-led church is the focus of this point. The operation of the Holy Spirit in its leaders and in these believers is evident because this is a Spirit-led church. Acts 13.1 now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, and then it names them, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. It names these men. There are, there are diversity of persons here. Barnabas was a Levite from Cyprus, his nickname is Barnabas. His given name by mom and dad was Joseph. He was nicknamed this way because he was one who loved to serve. He was willing to do whatever needed to be done. He was an encourager or an exhorter in the Word. He was able to take the Word of God and say, I see what you're dealing with in your life and you need to come to the Word of God and, 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 and look, this is something for you here. He was an encourager or, or an exhorter in the Word of God. He would have been, been able to, someone that could counsel someone through the Word. And there's this man, Simeon, most likely from North Africa, named Niger for his dark skin. And the, the chances are, as Barnabas and Saul leave this church, it is going to be uh, um, Simeon, Lucius, and Manan who are going to stay behind and lead this church. And then there's Simeon, most, uh, again, not Simeon, I already spoke about him. Then there's Lucius of Cyrene. He's most likely one of the evangelists who brought the gospel to Antioch. We were just back in uh, Acts 11.21 and Acts 11.20. It names this man there as being one that came. Well, it says that doesn't name him. It says that there were men from Cyprus and Cyrene. He might have been one of those men from Cyrene. He might have been the church planter, the founder of this church, the person who first brought the gospel to Antioch. And Manaean, a man who was a foster brother to Herod, the Herod who had John the Baptist beheaded. He lived in the same house as Herod who had John the Baptist. He grew up in the same house. And then Saul, whose name in this chapter, and in the verses we read this morning, whose name is going to become Paul, and he's not going to be called Saul the rest of the way through the book of Acts. He's going to become just the Apostle Paul, right? What a, what, a, what a diverse group of people to lead this church. And this is evidence of the Holy Spirit active in this church. It is a Spirit-led church. There is no way you're bringing these individuals together, four of them Hellenists, one of them a Jew 
of Jews, and that's Manan, I believe. There's no way you're bringing these guys together. Manan, who grew up in a household. What are all these guys doing together? They're led by the Holy Spirit. What a joy it is to know. You can travel all the way around the world and come across a brother or sister in Christ and find out you have more in common with that individual than you have with members of your own family that you grew up with, right? Could you imagine Manan thinking about Herod who had John the Baptist beheaded? He's got more in common with these men than he had with Herod who he grew up with, doesn't he? This is a spirit-led church. These are spiritual men. They're led by the Holy Spirit. And they can recognize the Holy Spirit's leading. And we can recognize the Holy Spirit's leading in these Spirit-filled leaders. They have all the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to have. The question isn't, do you have all of the Holy Spirit? The question is, does He have all of you? The Holy Spirit has all of these men. He has them completely. Not just a diversity of men, it's a diversity of gifts, right? says there are prophets and teachers. Prophets would be gifted expositors of divine truths, interpreters of, or, or those that would uh, be foretellers or sometimes foretellers of God's will. And teachers, they would be instructors. They would be people that would be recognized for their mastery in the field of learning, men competent in theology. Prophets and teachers, they're not the same, right? They're different gifts. And Barnabas here, he has this gift of being an encourager or an exhorter. And Paul is an apostle. This diversity of gifts operating within this church. This is a spirit-led church because of the diversity of giftedness in the church. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about spiritual gifts. And he gets to this point that every spiritual gift is necessary. All the people in the body are necessary members of the body. Can the hand say to the foot, I have no need of you? Can the toe say to the, the ear? I, I'm paraphrasing, right? No. Every member of the body is necessary. This is a spirit-led church. And so because it's a spirit-led church, when the spirit speaks, they're able to respond. Look what it says in verse 2. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, just stop right there. While they're ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. The Holy Spirit speaks. And He speaks into His church. He doesn't speak anywhere else unless He's speaking of sin, righteousness, and judgment to a fallen world. But He speaks to His church. And how does He do that? Today He does it through His Word, right? He speaks through His Word. It's not my Word like a hammer which shatters rock. But the Holy Spirit has something to say. Now how this came, we don't know. Maybe one of these prophets got a certain message. Or maybe one of these men had a certain impression that, that Saul and Barnabas were to be set aside for a certain ministry. And they mentioned something and someone said, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. And someone said, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. And they brought it before the church and the church said, yes. They were in unity about this. And the unity they have is evident as they send them off. But a Spirit-led church can hear from God as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said. The Spirit-led church is able to recognize God's voice when He speaks. 
When it says they ministered, it, meant, it means they were serving in public religious service. They were ministering in an official capacity as they were doing that and fasted, that is abstaining from food. And the church often did that. The, new, the first century church often did that before important decisions. Fasting does not manipulate God in any way, but it sure does help get us in line with what God would want to say to us. Eh? It helps someone get serious with God to set everything of the world behind and do that. It's never to be done to appear spiritual. We know that. Jesus said there are people that go around fasting and when they fast, they tell everybody about it. If you're fasting, no one should know. No one should know. They were doing this. They were ministering and they were fasting. Well, let me say it this way. No one should know because you told them. It is into this Spirit-led church that the Holy Spirit speaks. And it's from this church that He calls these two men into ministry. And it, while it may be true that Paul received this call at an earlier time, I think that is true. The Holy Spirit speaks while Barnabas and Saul are a part of this church. And the Holy Spirit is going to be the one that it, it says. Look what it says in verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Look what it says at the end of verse 3. And laid their hands on them and sent them away. Who sent them? The Holy Spirit sends them out. There's no question. The Holy Spirit sending them out. But the Holy Spirit, God, the Father, wants the church to be involved with this sending. The church sends them as well. Wants them cooperating in this sending. It's by His design. The Holy Spirit speaks, and what does he say? He says, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. What a statement. When the Holy Spirit is moving someone into a ministry, they're called of God. Called of God. These men are called of God for the work whereunto I have called them. What a statement. They didn't say, hey, I think I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to go and do that. I think, I've been thinking about this, I'm just going to go. No, the Holy Spirit called them to this work. And the church recognizes that call as, in, in the sending, as they send them away. Verse 3 says, And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. I'm talking this morning about recognizing the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the in the church, and I'm saying a spirit-led church, a spirit-led church responds to the Holy Spirit. We re they respond, no, a spirit-led church responds to the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit speaks and when He calls. And it's from this church that the Holy Spirit sends them. He doesn't send them. It is interesting to me, this is an interesting, maybe a side note, I don't know. It's interesting to me that these men are not sent, I've already mentioned this in another way, but I'm mentioning it again. They're not sent in and of themselves separate from the church. Right? They don't just decide, we're going. They're sent while they're members of the church. Well, it's not just the leaders that are spirit-filled, it's the believers that are as well. Not just those five men, the whole congregation. 
It says in verse 2, back in verse 2, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, I believe that's speaking of those five, but they would have been ministering to the whole congregation. This is a spirit-led congregation. In verses 3 and 4, it sure seems to involve the entire congregation. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. The congregation would have been with them. Now. Being helped by the Holy Spirit, they went on to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. The Holy Spirit chose them, commissioned them, confirmed them, and the church is sending them off with their blessing. The church is going to be actively involved. Do you know all three of Paul's missionary journeys begin at Antioch? The church is going to be actively involved with these missionary journeys. They're not going to just say, well, sayonara, see you later, hope that works out. They're going to be actively involved. This sending church recognizes and responds to the leading of the Holy Spirit, hearing the voice, recognizing the call, and recognizing the authority of the Holy Spirit to send these men. Bringing me to my last point, which is this. When the Spirit leads, there will be resistance. Or another way to look at this last point is this. There are Spirit-sent levers, right? There are spirit-sent leavers. Sometimes folks leave a church. Sometimes folks leave a church and they leave for the wrong reasons. But these guys are leaving for the right reasons. They are spirit-sent leavers. They're leaving because the spirits told them to go. They have a reason for leaving. <laughs> um, so they're sent forth by the Holy Spirit. So being sent forth by the Holy Spirit, they departed. They went. It says in verse 4 in the King James. Let's just look at these verses. Verse 5 through 12 now. A verse at a time. When they had reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John as their helper. What are they doing? They're proclaiming Christ, right? They're proclaiming the gospel. And who do they got with them? They have John. John Mark helping them ministering alongside them. Some might say that, I actually read someone wrote that maybe John Mark, Paul and Barnabas were sent of the Lord, but maybe John Mark just tagged along and he ought not to have been there. I don't know if you can go that far. I think that's a stretch. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. And John Mark would have been someone that thought, hey, I think that the Lord would want me to go. He, we're going to see next week that he, he kind of ditches them and heads back to Jerusalem. And with that thought, though, there's this. The Holy Spirit says, set these men apart for the work that I have for them. Ministry is work. It's work. It's toil. It's labor. I've worked hard since I was a little boy. I know what hard work is. I had a dairy farm. I worked 20-hour days for weeks on end at times. I enjoy hard work. And I think I can say with confidence there's no harder work than ministry. There's no more exhausting thing to be involved with than ministry. Just to prepare a message. To think of the responsibility that comes with that. There's nothing more exhausting than that. To minister, and you guys know this, you minister to your family, to your mom who needs to come to faith in Christ, to your brother 
to your sister, to a brother or sister that you know is a believer that has walked away from the truth, walked away from the Lord, and you want to minister to them, and you want to see them walking with the Lord in a way that's, that's in keeping with what the Bible has to say. And, and if you spend any time doing that, you know how exhausting that can be. And, and, and it can involve sleepless nights and early morning prayer and late night prayer and prayer with tears and prayer without ceasing. Ministry is work. Set these men apart for the work that I have for them. There's no more joyful work. I love to work. There's no more joyful work than ministry. But it's work. Make no mistake, it's work. Maybe John Mark thought, hey, I'll go along for the ride. This is going to be a fun time. But when it became work, man, I don't know about that. But it was a ministry of the Word. And a ministry of the Word is work. God's Word is not fallible, but we are fallible. It's work. Verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus. Wow. Again, this message talking about the difference between a cult and a church. This man, Bar-Jesus, is not a part of the church. He's a part of something else. Verse who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. What a handle, hey? Sergius Paulus. A man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Now here's opportunity here, hey? Can recognize the activity of the Spirit as the Spirit provides opportunity for the church to share the gospel with people, right? You recognize that. You're going through your day. You weren't expecting to have an opportunity to share the gospel, and all of a sudden you're presented with this opportunity to share the gospel. You meet some guy, Sergius Paulus, or you pick the name. And he's come to you, and he wants to know, what is this you believe? There's opportunity, but right where there's opportunity, look what's there, opposition in verse 8. But Elymas, I can't say that name right, Elymas, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Now there's that work aspect again, right? Right where there's opportunity, there's opposition. And it's still the case today where the Spirit of God is active, where the Spirit of God is on the move. We can expect that there's going to be some opposition. If, if there's no opposition, we might want to question, is God really in this? Verse 9, the Holy Spirit shows up again. Again, I think Luke is trying to share with his reader the fact, this fact, that the Holy Spirit is active in the church and it's recognizable. Verse 9, but Saul, who was also known as Paul, here's the name change, and it's never going to be Saul again the rest of the way through. What does it say of him? Filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him. Here's the Holy Spirit shows up again. Which was never absent but comes to, our, comes to the forefront for us. And said, and look how powerful this is, what Paul says, you are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil. Is that a way to win friends and influence people? I don't think so. 
You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? No, I'm not an apostle. You're not an apostle. Maybe the Holy Spirit wouldn't lead us to speak to someone in this way, but there is a time. I think this would tell us that there is a time to be stern with someone that is trying to disrupt the sharing of the gospel with someone who has come to hear the gospel. And to just say it plain. Look, you have no part in this. You're, you're not interested in these things. He just lays truth on him. Verse 11, Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not for a time. And immediately a mist and darkness fell on him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. I see something wonderful here as well, the redemptive quality of the gospel here. You will be blind for a time or for a season. The Apostle Paul, while Saul, was blinded himself. There's opportunity for this man. It is appointed upon a man once to die, and after that, the judgment. There is opportunity for this man to respond to the gospel. He might have to be blinded to get there. Hey? And then we close with verse 12. This, and this is a statement of victory. Victory through the Holy Spirit. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. The work of the Holy Spirit, the activity of the Holy Spirit is recognizable in the church. What is it that makes a church? A church is a place full of believers, a place where God, the one true God, is glorified, a place that exalts the person and work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and a place that is by the Holy Spirit. If any of those things are evident within a body, all of them are there. All of them are there. But it's this activity of the Holy Spirit that I'm, that I'm pointing out today, and I wanted to share with you from this text and say that the same Holy Spirit, there's one Spirit, one faith, one baptism, the same Holy Spirit is active in the church today, and we are able to recognize His work. And it's just a thought to ponder on as you go throughout your week. And where the Spirit isn't active, where it's something else, it's something to think about as well. That's not the Spirit's leading. That's some other leading. Eh? With that, let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank You for Your Word. Father, I pray You'll take this Word and speak to us throughout this week. Help us to recognize the Spirit's leading in our own lives. The Spirit's leading in this body of believers that meets here, that congregates here, Father. And as we recognize that, help us to just rejoice in what we see You doing. And help us to uh, cleave over to you, to want to be involved with those things all the more. In Jesus' name, for his glory.